crowd control, if we could have everybody kind of move toward the center of their aisles so that the ushers can show people, put people. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Fish on. All right. Sorry about that. I'm sorry, Trish. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll have we'll have more folks uh, kind of trickling in as we go along. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, we got some folks out sick, which is a pretty common thing nowadays. So you got to be ready for anything, right? So, uh, brothers and sisters, make sure that you are always ready to teach some kind of lesson um, in the event that uh, this happens and they, they look around and they need a teacher, you know. Uh, one one uh, thing that all the congregations I've worshipped at, uh, uh, and we've been members of five congregations throughout the 30 years that we've been Christians, and one thing that is always consistent at every one of those congregations is a shortage of teachers, right? Um, and so... What happens is, is my observation, right, is uh, you take the few people that are are willing and capable of teaching uh, and you wear them out doing all the teaching all the time, right? So uh, 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 we need to condition our children while they're young and growing up through all their life uh, to, to think about being a teacher, but look at James chapter 1. Hebrews, James, not chapter 1, James chapter 3, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not real good remembering the numbers, chapters, and the verses and stuff, but that's okay, right? God didn't put those there. Yeah, so uh, as long as we can find it, you know. Uh, and the way it works in my Bible, at least this one, is I remember it's about this this far through and about right there. And it's about in this spot over here on the right-hand side. And there it is, right there. So that thought about teachers just kind of reminded me just now of James chapter 3. And uh, where he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So I'm going to ask you not to do something, not to ever do it again, right, if you've ever done this, right? Um, A brother was teaching a class at a different congregation one time, and he got up, and we got into, he was teaching the book of James, and he got to the third chapter here, and he said, the third chapter of James was addressed to teachers. It was, that is the audience for, that's, that's not accurate, and I'm going to prove that to you here in just a second, just with simple grammar. Right. Uh, and, and I find the grammar to be the same in all the versions that I look at. And James chapter three. Um, well, first of all, uh, you know, context is very important. When you see a verse in the Bible, you got to back up and then you got to go forward and then you got to put it all together and say, what is the context here? And so you want to find who is the book of James, the letter that James wrote. Who was it addressed to? And so look at uh, James chapter one and verse two. My brethren. Hmm. And then, uh, I don't know, it's not hard to find some more of those. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 19. So then, my beloved brethren. And then James chapter 2 starts off the same way. My brethren. James chapter 2 and verse 5. My beloved brethren. And then James chapter 3 there in verse 1. My brethren. And then James chapter 3, uh, you can go down to verse 10. Where it says, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things, so my brethren. And then you just keep going all the way through the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 11. 
Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Oh, I didn't mean to trip upon that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever spoken evil of your brethren? I have. I have. I know that comes as a shock to some of you, but I have. Do not speak evil of one another. Mistake we make sometimes, right? Uh, you know, and, and Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, right? Um, we know God doesn't tempt anyone. We're in the first chapter of James, we'll read probably at some point in this lesson how, how, that, how that works, how it comes along. It's not God doing it, right? And so we see here, seems pretty obvious that the letter written by James and continuing on in chapter 5 and verse 7 and verse 9 and verse 12 and then verse 19, from the beginning all the way to the end of the book, we're reminded over and over and over, it's like James worked for the Department of Redundancy Department, right? Just over and over, brethren, brethren, brethren. So that's who James is addressed to. So let's go back to James chapter 3 and look at verse 1 and figure out why sometimes we mistakenly teach that chapter 3 of James is addressed to teachers, right? Um, So first of all, there is no James chapter 3. There's no such thing, right? When you read James, you start at James chapter 1, and you go all the way to the end of what, what we've put a 5 on, chapter 5, and you read the letter that James wrote, right? So chapter 3, that was uh, an intervention of man, and it is useful and helpful, and I appreciate those numbers. They do help me find scriptures, especially when I'm studying with someone else, right? But don't treat... What we know to be James chapter 3 as something that was written completely separately from the rest of James and to be accepted uh, differently by a different audience, because it's not. So he says here, my brethren, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, let not many of you become teachers. So here's the grammar part, right? So he says, my brethren, let not many of you, my brethren, become teachers. So if the third chapter of James were addressed specifically and only to teachers, then it would be a room full of teachers that he's talking to. And he would say, so then the question would be, why would he tell a room full of teachers, let not many of you teachers become teachers? You see, it doesn't make any sense, right? It's addressed to the brethren, to all the brethren, uh, those who have been baptized into Christ that uh, that are children of God and are truly brethren. Let not many of you, brethren, become teachers. Because he wouldn't tell a bunch of teachers not to become teachers. They're already teaching, right? And these issues would be indre- addressed uh, at the, in the time and the place that, the, that it was written because there was a lot of false teaching going on in the church. And there are some warnings about that here where he said, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive, we, uh, because James was obviously a teacher, right? Those of us who do become teachers and and who are teaching, uh, that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So, first of all, keep that in the proper context and, uh, and, and, you know, uh, try not to, to say things like the third chapter of James was addressed to teachers. 
Uh, a brother taught that one time, and I approached him in the most tactful and diplomatic way that I knew how, uh, very gently afterwards, and we were talking about the lesson. I was thanking him for a good lesson and everything, because it was. And I said, you know, uh, uh, are you willing to consider the possibility that that third chapter of James wasn't addressed just to teachers? And he got angry with me. He goes, oh, yeah, it is. And then he wouldn't even talk about it. And I was like, well, I tried, you know. So, um, But what bothered me was... He's up front teaching that, and it could have an impact. Uh, the the putting Scripture into context when you read it is very important for your own development, your own relationship to God, but it becomes even more important when you're teaching others the Word of God, that you've read enough of it beforehand and afterward to put into context. Now, I know someone in the room right now is thinking, well, you're contradicting yourself because I've heard you use Scripture out of context. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. Uh, and I can't promise you won't again. But I hope that uh, you will have the courage and the tact and diplomacy, like I mentioned, and the kindness and love for me to let me know that I've done that when it happens. And uh, I won't get mad and run away from you as long as you're nice to me. If you're not nice to me, maybe a different story. But as long as you're nice to me, and I know right now someone in the room is thinking, you're contradicting yourself again because I remember an occasion when you weren't so nice. Yes, yes, you do. Yes, you do. And I can't promise that you won't again. I can only ask that uh, you let me know when I do that and then and then forgive me so we can get along the way that God wants us to. Uh, so a little bit of a tangent I didn't plan on talking about that but uh, uh let's let's go to our father in prayer as we start the class our father in heaven we are thankful beyond words for the sacrifice of your son and for the revelation of your word and its availability to us that we might know your will I pray Father that you would through your spirit that is in us guide us to always treat it as such as your word holy and sacred more valuable than any tangible substance than anything we can even imagine even more valuable to us than ourselves or our loved ones or our livelihoods because you provide all of those things for us also. Father, today we pray that you will be with those who aren't with us today. We have uh, folks out sick, uh, and we pray that you'll be with the Jackson family, Father, and uh, you'll hear in us uh, give our thanks to you for their time here and their influence on us and their their example, their the humility of this family in serving you so vigorously with their, with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and and for their love for you and their love for us. And Father, we're thankful for their courage and uh, sometimes taking the unpopular position of of uh, of pushing hard to move us away from worldly influence. We're thankful for. Uh, that example and pray that 
uh, as Paul had said, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. And we were told in your word to uh, mark them who walk even as we had the apostles and Paul and Peter, for examples, that uh, that we might strive to be more like Jesus by by emulating the faith that we see in one another. And Father, thank you for this time, for this this class, and we pray that uh, you would strengthen uh, all of us as a congregation, as brothers and sisters here, strengthen our resolve to take advantage of these opportunities uh, to attend every class, uh, to have that teaching of your word and to uh, make it a priority in our hearts and in our lives that we're all learning the same thing at the same time so that we learn and grow and develop in Christ together. And thank you most of all for your son Jesus and for his teachings, uh, some of which we'll look at today, Father, and um, give us the wisdom to continue to search out these these things and uh, after we leave this place on our own. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, so let's look real quick, uh, just a, a quick review from Wednesday night. In case you missed it, I did the uh, devotional, and uh, it was kind of like the devotional is like a real quick thing. And uh, so I'm just going to review that a little bit and then move on past it. But uh, we looked at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, about that new command. John 13. 34 and 35, where uh, Jesus said, uh, I'll start with 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Uh, And every time I get to that part where he says, as I have loved you, I say it's a tall order, right? That Jesus, and here's here's the thought, right? Uh, And we know that there are some excellent parables about, you know, uh, the same measure of uh, mercy and compassion and forgiveness that I have for you, that's what God's going to have for me when when both of my knees hit the ground in judgment, right? So if if you do something that aggravates me, right, and then I treat you badly or differently for the rest of the time that we're associated, um, then maybe that's the kind of thing I can expect from God, right? So, so the objective, my objective is that... Uh, that I'm going to try to treat all of you, every single one of you, right? The same way that I treat my kids. Our baby's 30 now, right? So, you know, uh, I, I need to be treating all of you the same way that I, that I would treat my kids and that I treat my wife. Um, another tall order sometimes because it's easier for me to stay aggravated with you than it is for them. But in the event that, uh, and, and guys, I gotta tell you, I love my kids so much. I don't know if you feel the same way, right? But I hope you love my kids as much as I do, right? Uh, I love my kids so much and, and they're human like me and I, I've seen them make mistakes, uh, and, and I've seen those mistakes affect other people. And then so as an observer, I watch that situation and I want them to be, uh, repentant and I want them to be forgiven. And I want them to be treated the way that I treat them and the way I expect them to treat me. So anyway, another tangent. But Jesus said here, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Tall order. 
how do I love you, especially if you aggravate me, the way Jesus loves me? Right? That you also love one another. By this, here's the kicker, by this, by doing this, by obeying and observing this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Not just love for one another, but the same kind of love that Jesus has for me. Right? Okay, so, and then turn to John chapter, uh, or First John chapter 3. This has always been one of my favorites, and I like, I like the fact that, uh, you know, the three sixteens. If you go through all all the books of the New Testament and just look at chapter three, verse sixteen of all those, there's a lot of significance there. I don't know how it came out that way, right? But you got John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and then you go to First John three sixteen, and look what it says here: By this we know love. So you see the connection to the, from this to back to John thirteen and thirty four and thirty five. The new command Jesus said, "We're love one another as I've loved you." So He says here. By this we know love. Well, he already told us that by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And here he says, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And so what is our response to that? What is God's expectation for our response to Jesus laying down his life for us? And he says right here, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, right? And so Wednesday night, I gave a devotion. I was talking about these things, and uh, I started talking about our uh, vacation Bible school coming up this week, right? And how uh, with things like that, uh, oftentimes you end up with a, a small handful of the brethren handling a whole lot of work uh, without much help. And so that's kind of a motivational thing, right? Uh, that we look at this where it says, we know love because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And you look for these opportunities. Uh, it's not likely that any of you will have an opportunity, I hope, to like push me out of the way from a car hitting me and maybe let the car hit you instead, right? So that's, that's like a more of a physical, uh, dramatic way of laying down your life for me the way Jesus did. But, uh, uh, really, you know, you think about Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 there where it says, uh, present your body as a living sacrifice. There's a lot of work to do, a lot of work to be done in the church. We just need people to lay down their bodies as living sacrifices, uh, and lay down their lives for the brethren with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, particularly your mind and strength in these cases, like with the vacation Bible school. Help is needed there. Um, and I gave the example of a continuum. Imagine this continuum uh, where, so this is my right, so that's your left. So we like to read left to right, so I'm going to do this for you and say that over here on this end of the continuum, you have spiritual, like a lack of faith, like zero faith, uh, a faith vacuum. Uh, and, and, you know, exposure to the world uh, on this low end of this, this, uh, this continuum uh, and and no knowledge of God or Scripture or appreciation for His creation, so you're just in a faith vacuum. That's this is where Satan wants you over here. And then over here you have uh, like Enoch, right? Uh, over here you you have uh, the faith of Jesus, the the faith of uh, of uh, 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 from Hebrews chapter 11 there, what we call a faith hall of fame. You have that kind of faith from those people who are imperfect, but who are noted. 
uh, all these thousands of years for their exemplary faith. So no faith, faith vacuum where Satan wants you and over here uh, on the continuum uh, where God wants you with uh, with very strong, strong faith, a uh, person that's, that's comfortable knowing that uh, if... Uh, since tomorrow is not a promise, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. You're ready for that. Where they come into the auditorium here and say, uh, I mean, like, who's ready for the Lord to come back now? And then some old guy jumps out of his chair and says, me, right now, come on, let's go. Right? Uh, that was Howard Hopwood, by the way. Uh, we we worship with How- the Hopwoods uh, down at Baker Heights in Abilene. And somebody asked that question, and, and uh, Howard launched. He was like, right now, come on, Lord, I am ready. And I was like, you know, uh, I don't feel the same way he does. I'm not ready. So we got some work to do, right? And uh, on that occasion, I was not, but I appreciate that example he gave us. So you got this continuum. Satan wants you over here. God wants you over here. And, you know, we're all somewhere on this continuum. So think in terms of like that. any any of the activities, any of the kind of things that uh, you you have an opportunity to do that would strengthen your faith and move you farther along that continuum in the direction that God wants you to go, uh, then then that's working for you. Uh, opportunities to be involved with your congregation, opportunities to share Christ with others, which is what the Vacation Bible School is, right? Uh, the kids uh, we open this up to the community. Got to sign out by the street. People bring their kids. They go home talking about how wonderful a time they had here and the things they learned. Eventually. Uh, next thing you know, you got the parents in here visiting and then learning about Christ and then, uh, and then, uh, being added, uh, to the church by God and then, and then we see the growth. So those, these are those kind of opportunities. But just anything, you know, uh, uh, over here in the, in the faith vacuum, uh, uh, if, if I get aggravated with, uh, with one of you or, or let's say my wife, I get aggravated with my wife and I have harsh words for her, then I'm going this way, going the wrong way, right? If I'm exhibiting some kind of impatience, I'm going this way. Uh, if uh, uh, I, I uh, attended a seminar on implicit bias uh, earlier this week with my students, I'm teaching a class out at uh, out of school, and uh, uh, attended this class on implicit bias. And it's a course, it's a subject that I have taught myself as an instructor at the academy. We just called it social actions in our curriculum there. Uh, but any time that I exercise any kind of a bias toward anyone based on all those things, race, color, creed, uh, national origin, uh, even their religion, I mean, anything, you know, uh, gender, you know, like a, maybe, uh, maybe, a, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about, uh, about how it is where I work in the, in the medical uh, practice, uh, on, the, on, the big, burly men picking on little bitty girls. But anyway, that's, that's a different topic, but, you know, uh, my response, my reaction to these things move me in the wrong direction on that continuum if I'm not thinking about what God wants me to do, how God wants me to react, if, I, if I'm not showing the love of Christ that we're talking about here. So in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, and remember, Satan wants you to go that way, right, to your left on that continuum. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us, uh, be sober. I'd give a whole lesson on that right now, right? Make sure you stay sober. Um, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And then it goes on in verse 9 there to say, resist him steadfast in the faith over this way, resisting him. So, you know, 
resist the devil. And, and then also in James chapter 4 and verse 7, you see something similar there where... James chapter 4 and verse 7, where it said, uh, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we see where the devil is prowling about like a roaring lion looking for some soul to devour. And then here in James chapter 4 and verse 7 it says, Resist him and he will flee from you. So uh, as I had mentioned before, uh, at least what I've been taught is that the devil is not omnipresent like God. He's not everywhere. He can't be in two places at once. So uh, with 7 billion people on the planet, you know, more than likely, we can't all blame everything on him, you know. Uh, but we can say that, you know, you read uh, the, uh, the temptation in the garden with the forbidden fruit. You read uh, the book of Job. You read Jesus' temptation. And just read about Satan everywhere in the scripture, and you understand that he does indeed want you to go this way on that continuum. He wants you to be in that void of faith, or at least to lose whatever progress you make. And to be less faithful, which will happen if you fall away, if you stop reading the Bible, if you stop practicing what you're reading the Bible, if you stop, uh, you know. So we understand if you stop attending classes and learning with the with the rest of your brothers and sisters, a lot of things that can cause your faith to go in the wrong direction. So Satan is not physically present in some spiritual form, blocking you from doing correct things. You know, you got sins of omission, you got sins of commission, right? Uh, so he may not be there, but he definitely wants you to go on the wrong direction on this faith continuum. Can we agree on that? Yeah, right. Yeah, he wants you to be faithless. Uh, it's, it's not that he wants you, because I know that sometimes in uh, uh, in film and in, in uh, dramatic writings, they portray Satan as being in charge of this domain, and he wants more people there in, in hell with him. Uh, and so, like, he can command. The, it's not that way at all. He's already been defeated. Uh, he's already been bound up. Uh, he just he just wants everything in opposition to God and uh, complete and total opposition to the will of God, the father of lies, uh, the opposite of godliness. So we know that, that that's what he wants. Um, and so we resist that. We resist him. And we flee there in James chapter 4 and 7, we'd said, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. There's our comfort. So uh, a little bit about prayer. Um, And so, you know, when we have opportunities to get up and talk like this, we use examples from our own experience. So I use an example from my experience. Uh, uh, So after I punched out of the Air Force in 2003, I went to work for the university uh, uh, was a training coordinator for about five years and then went to work in enrollment services as the veterans coordinator over at, in, uh, for the UAA. And so I was a veterans coordinator. And uh, when, when I took over that position, man, it was a horrid mess. It was a mess. The person who had that position before me had all kind of problems, and one of which was not doing their job. Uh, and like... Our poor veterans trying to attend that university were really not uh, not being helped, right? So I took over the position, uh, and uh, 
took me a while to kind of start to whip things in shape. But as the veterans coordinator with that title and with 70 people working back there in enrollment services, at the front counter every t- or on the phone, every time they had a veteran who was getting angry, and believe me, they were all getting angry because things were such a mess and they should have been able to use their benefits to go to school there, right? Uh, they would call me up to deal with the angry people. Uh, fortunately, in the Air Force, I had been through a whole lot of that uh, training on de-escalation and how to deal with difficult personalities and, you know, how to resolve issues and stuff like this. So, so that was useful for me. Uh, not because it came from any natural wisdom within me, but because I had been trained to deal with those things, and I did so effectively. And so uh, they saw that I was effective at dealing with this, and then they started calling me every time somebody was upset uh, and angry and, and making a scene. And so, you know, I would help them deal with those things. And so it's kind of funny, though, that I got to the point where, and then I became the associate director of financial aid, and then I started getting to deal with people who were angry about money, and having to explain to them that, hey, you've used it all up, you're not getting any more. Uh, had one fellow used his student financial aid to get a mail-order bride, uh, and people were using it to go to Hawaii and things like this just all over the place. So they'd run out of money, they want more money, and I, and they would get angry when somebody was telling them they couldn't have any. So I would go and deal with them. And, uh, <clears throat> and then so fast forward, now I'm working at, uh, at a medical practice, kind of a large practice with a bunch of docs here. Um, and I am the, I am the customer service. I have a French title. I am a liaison. I am the customer service liaison. And so, when somebody gets upset, uh, you know, out in the lobby, and they start throwing a, a public rage or something, uh, then they, I get a call on the bat phone in my back office, and I pop up out front. Hello, how you doing? You know, and then, and then kind of bring them down, take them to a little room if they'll go, take them into a little room on the side. Uh, and it's kind of like that police officer. Uh, you know, when you think about Hersey and Blanchard and the developmental levels uh, uh, for situational leadership, when, when the young police officer first graduates from the academy, man, their, their confidence level is through the roof. But their competence level, maybe not so much just yet because they just graduated from the academy. And so they respond to a couple of those domestic disputes, and they do not handle it well. So their FTO jumps in and says, let me help out here. And then, you know, they kind of smooth it over because they have both confidence and competence that they've amassed over doing that for years. So, and then, you know, on the D4 level of that situational leadership model, you have the police officer who's been a cop for 10 or 20 years, and they've responded to a lot of domestics, and they've been very useful in helping uh, – uh, a positive outcome, so they they actually want to take that call. They want to be the first on the scene because they genuinely want a positive, a good outcome, and they know that they're equipped to handle that. Best person for the job, or one of, right? And that's a good way to feel. And so I really love the job that I have now because I want to be the first one there. I want to get there because in, in some cases I'm protecting our employees because they're being abused, right? And don't get me wrong. This doesn't happen all day long, you know. I don't want to give you the impression that. But but I'll tell you this. With this COVID stuff, with the mask requirements and with the screening questions, people bring their politics in, and then, and it just it gets nasty pretty quick, right? And so I pop up, and uh, they don't know what I'm doing. I don't walk up and say, oh, hold on, let me de-escalate you, you know. Uh, that's not exactly how it works. But, you know, I, I, my head is a toolbox, uh, my head is a toolbox that I've been amassing these tools to use in these situations all my life, and especially since I've been a Christian. 
and then throw in that training that I've had, all that money spent on training. And so there are what we call levels of intervention. Uh, sometimes uh, the lowest level is do nothing. So if we got a guy who's getting loud and, and mouthy in the, in the lobby because he's aggravated about something, I can just show up and just kind of stand nearby and lean on the counter and the the commotions over here and I just kind of watch this TV we have in the lobby and they see me and then and then they start to behave because until I got there it was just a, a young lady who was maybe 22 years old and five foot two uh, and and this particular fellow that's just how he thinks right if if he's bigger than you and you're a female and you're small uh, and maybe a different race or nationality he's going to be mean and nasty to you and then when I show up attitudes change so sometimes that's effective right uh, and then sometimes I have to start ratcheting up and climbing those levels of intervention and and uh, the highest level of intervention is either uh, it gets physical or I tell you leave immediately or we will call the police so that's that's uh, very very rare that we get to that level but when it's necessary you know uh, the folks that run the place the partners have vested that uh, trust in me to make those decisions and to do things in such a way with the objective. The objective is that everyone leaves there with a favorable impression of this medical practice. That's the objective, right? And see, I want to be the first one on the scene to deal with those things because, not because of all the training I've had, but because of my Christian values. And I pray and and I talk to God and I remind myself, and I have little reminders to just in case I get caught up in something to remind me that I am a follower of Christ and that I must exhibit that and present that to everyone I deal with, even the folks who aggravate me. And then I pray for them. And so that's the important part. You know, for years I had this thing that I learned in some seminar where when I'd get out of my car at the end of the day, walking to the front door, I'd stop had a designated branch on a tree, and I would hang my problems on that branch so that I didn't take them in the house with me to affect my wife and kids and the family. And then in the morning when I would leave for work, I'd walk over to that tree and take my problems back off the tree and put them in the car with me and go back to work, right? Because I didn't want some of the nasty things I was dealing with affecting my family and my, my wife and our relationship and my household. So I, could, I, could, I got pretty good at starting to turn those things off. But sometimes it's difficult. I don't know if you've ever been chewed out or cussed at or had someone threaten you with physical intimidation, uh, but I have, and, uh, uh, and, and it's part of my job, and it has been for a long time. And some of you deal with, with similar stuff, right? And so when you look at, uh, let's look at Luke chapter 6. We'll start in verse 27. Notably, this was written, this gospel was written, um, and Jesus said these words before Acts chapter 2, where the church was established. But start here in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Now, let me pause here and say this word enemies, uh, I hope that we're never having to apply this between brethren in the church, right? None of you here should ever be my enemy. I should never be able to consider you to be my enemy, and you should never 
be able to consider the possibility that I am yours. So when I think of enemies in the application of this, I'm thinking of people in the world outside of uh, the brotherhood, outside of the church. But anyway, he said, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Wow. But you don't understand, Jesus. I know you said these things. Love your enemy. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spite you. But you don't know how aggravated I am. You don't know how badly they abused me. You don't know how they treated me. How they disrespected me. Does Jesus not understand how that works? Really? I mean, think about it. Um, The fact that we're all here this morning tells me that we've yet to suffer the level of those things that he, he did. Right? So he knows what he's talking about. So what do you do? Uh, I have an, uh, an encounter with someone in, uh, perhaps in a work environment. They're really nasty with me. They're not functioning. They're not operating on the Christian values that I am. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, an observer, my coworkers who witness some of these things, they look at this situation and they say, man, Danny is really, that guy is really roughing Danny up over there. And Danny... Uh, is at a disadvantage because he's not yelling back at the guy. He's not cussing back at the guy. He's not threatening the guy or getting in his face like he wants to fight him, you know. And so to the world, that appears to be a disadvantage. But I hope that all of us are able to see that I have an advantage. I am at an advantage because I don't engage in those behaviors. And I get to keep my job. So that's just a bonus, right? So how, how do I handle that? Well, I read something like this, and then I go home and I have my quiet time in the morning. Uh, don't worry, young parents. When your kids graduate and grow up and, and move away, you will have quiet time alone, right? It's coming. I get up at 5 o'clock every morning. I make some coffee, and I have about three hours to start my day with God to make sure that Uh, Not that he's with me, but that I'm with him all day. And so on those mornings, I get up and I pray about what happened the day before, and sometimes for days and weeks about the same thing. And so you think about that person, and you pray for them earnestly and sincerely, and you pray for their success. You pray that they are blessed. You pray that their family is well. You pray that, uh, uh, that somehow... Uh, maybe uh, your interaction with them, maybe my interaction with them and not behaving as they did, maybe that's the spark that ignites a relationship with God. And maybe uh, they'll find their way to Jesus. Uh, And so how does that work in the church? I know it doesn't apply because we don't have enemies in the church, right? It's not that we can't be infiltrated because it talks about that too. Read Acts chapter 20 and read the book of Titus elders protecting us from those worldly things right and the influence that come from without so yeah i understand that those could be enemies right but i mean the the legitimate sincere brethren in christ uh, these these aren't your enemies we don't find our enemies in that crowd right uh but what if a brother or sister in the church do aggravate me uh or do rough me up a little bit what if i suffer an injustice from within from someone in the family so what do you do? Same thing. Same thing. You read this that we just read. Love your enemies. Love your brethren. 
and pray for them. Pray for each one of them. Pray for their family. Pray for each one of their children. You pray for their uh, that they're blessed in every way. You pray for their finances. You pray for their marital relationship. You pray for their involvement in the church. You pray that uh, the Holy Spirit is working in their lives to, to give them that desire to read and learn God's Word. And you know, after you do that, even just a little bit, you cannot, you will not stay aggravated with that person. You can't. You know, and uh, uh, one of my favorite verses, I can't remember where it's at. It's in Psalms. You find it. That's your homework assignment, uh, where it says that uh, it talks about overlooking a trespass there in the book of Psalms. Uh, so, you know, God wants that from us, uh, to, to be able to overlook a trespass and then treat folks right again. All right. So I'll finish reading this. We're going to go 27 through 36. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want... Ah, listen up. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. I want you to love me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to want good things for me. I want you to be praying for me. So I need to to do those things likewise for you. Well, maybe I don't like you. Well, then I'm just not understanding any of this. I'm not understanding how it works. I've been forgiven. I mean, like you wouldn't believe, right? Uh, maybe someday I'll give you a list, right? I have been forgiven. So, like really, who am I to withhold that from any of you? Think about it. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners and receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Wow. For he is kind. Now we're getting into kindness. You're killing me here. I got to be kind to people who aggravate me? (laughs) Might be asking too much, right? But anyway, it's here. Verse 35. For he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful just as your father is also merciful. And then... Matthew 5.48 is like the parallel passage where it says, uh, Be therefore perfect as God is perfect. Equating mercy to perfection here. Uh, And when you think about it and forgiveness and repentance and how all that works, then it makes perfect sense. So I appreciate your attention this morning. Uh, As I kind of rambled up here, 
uh, when I when I get uh, I, I got uh, the notice like six o'clock last last evening to that they needed a teacher, and so you you just get to hear what what I what I've been thinking about uh, when that happens. So there there it is, and I uh, the lesson is yours, and uh, we'll have a bell here in a second, and then we'll uh, meet back for worship.